Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Today, guest speaker Chris Mayoka will take us to Mark chapter 4, where we're going to study one of the most interesting parables that Jesus spoke, the parable of the four soils. Let's join Chris now with a message entitled, It's All About the Soil. Well, this morning, you guys have a special treat. We have Chris Mayoka that will be coming up to present uh, the preaching this morning. Chris Mayoka is a father of four, loving husband, very faithful Christian guy. I've known him for about four or five years now. Uh, Just an awesome, awesome preacher. You guys will be completely blessed. Uh, He teaches down in San Diego. He's a Bible teacher at a Christian school. So if you guys would please join me in welcoming him, Chris Mayoka. Thank you, brother. Good morning, Rock Church. It is such an incredible pleasure to be here. I got a text from Jim on Monday. It was about 10 o'clock at night. I, was, I teach a couple of things. I teach European history, and I was getting my lesson for the next day. I've never teach European history, so I was up at 10 o'clock at night on Wikipedia trying to figure out about Islam. And I got a text from Jim that said, emergency, call, um, call ASAP. And I just, I said, I went into my wife, Robin, and I said, honey, pray, Jim doesn't talk like this. And I, and I called him, and he said, well, it's not really an emergency. We were just <laughs> hoping you could come up this weekend. When I was calling him, my hand was shaking so bad, I had to say, Lord, I thought he was going to tell me something really bad. So don't do that, Jim. But um, <laughs> what... Uh, one of my best friends and Carlin and Jim are just been ministry partners for, for about four years. Um, I can say without any hyperbole or exaggeration that this is my favorite church in the world. There is um, no gospel minister that I respect and appreciate more than Ross because there's no gospel minister um, who I have profited under more than Ross. Um, I have had so many encounters with the Lord in this church. I was going to tell some stories. It would just simply take too long, but the Lord has done uh, an amazing work in my own heart Uh, Through this church, we love Barb. She's just the aroma of Christ. She's such an amazing example to my wife and I'm sure to um, all the ladies in this church. So I'm blessed and humbled to be here. Um, I am not going to attain to your pastor's teaching and I'm not going to pretend to, but I trust you'll get enough to uh, bless you through this next week. Uh, Let's Why don't I pray, and then we'll get right into the text. Before I pray, if you want to open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower, very familiar text. I have about three notebooks of old sermons on my top bookshelf, but I didn't want to preach an old sermon. They kind of are stale. They get stale, it seems like. But this is where the Lord has me in my own walk, and he's ministered to me through some discouragement with this, so maybe um, he has something for some of you as well. Why don't I pray? We'll get started. Father, thank you for this incredible opportunity. Lord, this parable is going to tell us a lot about our hearts, and I just pray right now that uh, the word, your, your word, would, would fall on uh, open hearts, Lord. We just pray for the presence and the power of your Holy Spirit doing things Uh, that we can't even imagine. I pray that you would attend your word with clarity. pray that you'd give me clarity, Lord. I pray that I wouldn't preach myself or my own imaginations, but just your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is... uh this is the famous parable. It's in all three gospels, uh, all three of the, the synoptic gospels, the similar gospels. That's pretty rare. There's maybe a couple that show up in all three gospels. Uh, it's a frequent parable. Um, what I mean by that is if you read the accounts of this parable, um, it, they're, 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 different. they're different enough where it's very clear that Jesus is communicating these at different times. He's teaching this parable on many different occasions under many different circumstances. That's the only way I can account for the different language and the various 
um, renditions in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, It's the first parable. That's interesting. Whenever you see a first in the Bible, that's important. And, And I would clarify that. I would say it's the first fully developed parable. Jesus gives some analogies before this one in a couple of the Gospels, but this to me anyway seems like the first full-blown parable in um, the Gospels. So that's, that's interesting. I want to call this also, it's the foundational parable. Jesus says in Mark 4.13, um, if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to get any other parable. It's kind of the paradigm of all other parables. So it's really, really important. I would also call this the flexible parable. Um, And and what I mean by the flexible parable, in in, in case I don't hit this explicitly, um, and in case you're kind of wondering, who is this parable talking to? I I believe firmly it has um, very serious implications for believers and unbelievers. It's the flexible parable. It'll It'll speak equally as well to Christians as it will describe the position of the non Christian. So let's get right into it. Uh, the first thing I want to talk to you is a little bit about the context, and that's in Mark 4 1 through 2. And it begins, it says, Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. And while all the peoples were along the shore at the water's edge, he taught them by many parables. This is actually the text that Jim uses to try to get me to do this thing he's been trying to do for a while. He wants to basically rent a canoe and go up and down the Russian River and stop at all the beaches and like start preaching from the canoes. And I just, you know, brother, you're crazy. Um, But anyway, that's the text he uses to justify that, so... So the the context is really the crowd. At this point, very early on in Jesus' ministry, he's at rock star status. Um, Meteoric meteoric rise from unknown carpenter to unparalleled celebrity. Uh, They don't know everything about him, but they know he's a prophet whose words sting and stick, and he is a miracle worker whose deeds are absolutely inexplicable. Uh, I really believe that everything that Mark has said up to this point is context for this parable. Um, The crowds are coming for obvious reasons. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is preaching at a synagogue in Capernaum, and a demon-possessed man comes there, and he just takes authority. Get out of him. And the people said, whoa, what's this? Teaching with authority. Um, And at that point, everyone that night came to, I think it was Peter mother-in-law's house. They're like, we got to get this and free health care and everybody with um, (laughs) demons were were getting exercise. So he was just, just an unbelievable scene in Capernaum. Next, it says that Jesus did something that I'm only aware happened one other time in redemptive history. He actually healed a leper, still can't heal leprosy today. Um, And then it says, uh, this is all Mark chapter 1, it says he could no longer enter a town openly. So if you heal a leper, uh, it's going to get well heard of. This is why in Mark chapter 2, when the paralytic comes along, the guy, um, they couldn't get anywhere near Jesus and they had to climb up and, and actually lower him down on the roof. People had heard about Christ's uh, power, and and there was just no getting near him. So we have that beautiful story of the paralytic being lowered. Um, And then in Mark chapter 3, it says that Jesus healed a man with a a crippled hand. He's actually doing miracles of recreation. So this is amazing. And then it says in Mark um, 3, 7, and 8, a large crowd from Galilee followed him everywhere. When they had heard about all he was doing, Many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Udama, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. So Mark is really in his gospel, he's painting just this incredible picture of this, this tsunami of popularity that's breaking on Jesus. Uh, that's not the only context, I don't think, for this, uh, pat, this parable, not at all. Um, the second really important piece of context are the controversies that are uh, surrounding the Lord. Not all the, um, not all the crowd is, is receiving his ministry favorably. Mark chapter 2, verse 8, that story with the paralytic, the, the, the Pharisees had real issue because Jesus not only healed the paralytic, he pronounced the forgiveness of sins on him. He said, who is this? 
Let's not get too much of an ego here. In Mark 2.15, it says, what is this? He, he's, he's, is he a holy man? Then why does he dine with sinners? So they're starting to make their judgments. They're starting, as C.S. Lewis said, to put God in the dock. They're starting to sit on judgment on his ministry. Even John the Baptist's uh, disciples got in on this. Jesus, why don't your disciples fast? Um, maybe a little bit of a shot. It doesn't seem like they're quite as holy as, as us. He heals on the Sabbath. The teachers of the law really took issue with that. That was causing controversy. And, and by the way, uh, Mark makes an amazing editorial comment. It, right before it says the whole Sabbath thing, it says, quote, some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus' fault finders. Mark 3.21 uh, his own family said he's insane. He, literally, the text says he's out of his mind. And then, uh, really, the, the climax of this controversy, um, it says uh, in Mark 3.22 that... <laughs> I, I have to admit, I, I chuckled when I read this. Leaders from Jerusalem came down and said, he, nothing to see here. He's, he's casting out demons by the power of demons. It's just, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, but then, this is the context that immediately follows our text. And, and I think this is going to be important to I- interpret a, a very difficult part of the text, I think. So let me just read the, uh, the several verses preceding what I just read in Mark chapter 4. And, and I'm going to kind of maybe um, accentuate the, the, verses, the, the, the words I want you to focus on. It says, Then Jesus' mothers and brothers arrived... Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mothers and brothers are outside looking for you. Who are my mother and my brothers, he asked. And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does God's will is my mother and sister, my brother and sister, and mother. And by the way, to do God's will means simply to believe in the one whom he sent. And clearly, these people are not believing in the one that God sent. They're sitting in judgment on him. Let's move on to Roman numeral number two, the cast of characters. The cast of characters. Mark three, uh, sorry, Mark four, three through eight. Jesus says this. This is the beginning of his parable. Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up. And choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop. Multiplying 30, 60, or even 100 times. Then Jesus said, let him who has ears, he who has ears, let him hear. So there's three main characters to this parable. There's the farmer, there's the seed, and there's the soil. That's the Order of appearance. Um, sometimes at the end of movies and the credits, it gives you the order of appearance, and sometimes it gives you the order of importance. The star comes first, and then all the supporting cast and whatever. This is um, de- not in the order of importance. This is uh, in order of appearance. In this parable, um, the farmer is not the star at all. Um, we're told nothing about the farmer, we know nothing about his age. Nothing about his background, nothing about his education, where he came from, nothing about his intelligence, nothing about his race, his experience. He's just simply in the background. I guess there is a loose way in which you could say I've been a farmer my whole life, kind of, at least a gardener. When I was in fifth grade, um, I moved to a farming community, Holliston, Massachusetts, um, and um, 
there's really not a lot to it. You know, I mean, you till the soil and, and, and you just, it just kind of does its own thing. Um, one of the neat things that I do at my school, I teach at a school called Horizon Prep in Rancho Santa Fe. Um, they let me start my own organic gardening club. So we have six organic gardening beds and I have my students and I teach them how to garden. And um, I put pictures on Facebook sometimes and everybody comments, oh, Chris is a master gardener, and I'm just like, I really just put plants in the ground, and they just kind of grow by themselves. The farmer, I mean, bless their hearts. We love them for the food they give, and my school loves me because, you know, we brought this wonderful program. It looks so beautiful. The corn's swinging on the campus, but it's really pretty, it's really pretty easy. In fact, at my, at my own little gardens at my home, I make sure my little uh, four-year-old daughter, Phoebe, plants them all. Um, and I say, see, you planted that little seed and it grew and Jesus made it grow. So it's, but, but, but I mean, I'm, a, a four-year-old did it. So it's, it's, the farmer is really not the, the star of this um, parable here. And, and I would say the seed isn't the star either. Um, seeds are important. Seeds are mind-blowing. They, they really are, if you meditate on it for a second. It, maybe this is a little bit of an exaggeration, but with one seed, you could almost feed the entire world. I mean, let's say you have a tomato seed. You put that in, and one tomato plant is going to yield, what, 50 tomatoes? By the way, you guys should all do that. One tomato, one organic heirloom tomato at Whole Foods is going to cost about $4. So for $0.10, cents, you can come up about $1,000. But anyway... Um, that's what I, I tell my kids, I tell my organic gardening uh, class that it just doesn't really resonate with them. They're from Fairbanks Ranch. Their parents drive Rolls Royces. So they're like, no, we'll just go to Whole Foods. It's, we don't have to get our hands dirty. Anyway. Um, but just think about one seed. It goes into the ground, a tomato plant, a tomato plant, maybe a good yield, bumper, bumper crop, 50 tomatoes. Each tomato has 200 seeds in it. Oh my goodness. I mean, it's exponential within two generations. I mean, you could, you could feed a family. Um, so you could feed a village. It's just wonderful. That's why it's so sad that people are starving and perishing all over the world. They don't have to be. God has put everything in the seed. But the seed, it's just a seed. You can get them. I mean, they're fairly common. Go to the store. You want them to be pure, non-GMO. You don't want them genetically modified. Heirloom is good. Heirloom means it comes from years, years down the road. So it's, it's time-tested seeds, um, proven of their worth. Um, but the seed is not the star of this parable. The soil is the star. Uh, the soil is the antagonist of the story. It's some, in one case, it's the protagonist. The soil is mentioned all throughout. If you're a farmer, soil is just that gold. You just want to pick it up and, and smell it. Uh, if you, you know if it's good soil. It just smells sweet. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. One of my favorite uh, parts, um, kind of going to... If you, have, if you have ever, shame on Peter Jackson if you've ever watched The Return of the King, uh, the Lord of the Rings series. He, he leaves out the best chapter in the, in, in the last movie. It's called The Scourging of the Shire. Um, but, but if it's in the book, you, you have to read it. And, and when, the, when, the, um, sorry, when the hobbits return back to the Shire, it's completely decimated. It's not, that's not the way Tolkien, the way Jackson did it in the movie. It has been overrun, and it's sad. And all the trees have been cut down. The hobbits love their trees. It's just been completely vandalized. But then Sam remembers, this was in the movie, I think, the gift that the Lady of Lorien gave her, the little box of elvish soil. And he goes around to all the trees in the Shire, and eventually the trees grow up a um, hundred times better and bigger and stronger than they ever were. And I, I don't know why, it just, it's a very emotional chapter in the book. Um, but the soil is the star. It's really the soil that matters. If anybody's a farmer, you know you've got to get that right. The sun's given, the water, your, your, your irrigation, we've got that figured out. It's all about the soil. Let's move on here. The really, really big secret. The really, really big secret is Roman numeral number three. This is going to be in Mark 4, 10 through 13. Jim, we, I spent about three hours with Jim yesterday, and we're like two teenage girls. We talk, 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 talk. And every time I'm with them, my, vo my, my throat literally starts to ache. So forgive me if I sound a little raspy. Mark 10, 
sorry, Mark 4, 10 through 13. This is after Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. When he was alone, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. So that seeing, they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, never hearing, but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And then Jesus said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? I found this, I found this the most difficult part of this passage to interpret. And in fact, when, when I was just led to this passage, and I do believe I was led to this passage, I text Jim, I said, can I preach on the four soils? And he said he almost fell out of his chair because all over his desk, his commentaries were open to the four soils. So that was a, a nice little confirmation that this is what the Lord would, would have me bring to you today. And th- that first part went real easy, and then er, the brakes just stopped. This is difficult, and it's important. Because Jesus gives the parable, and then he kind of, there's this middle section, which is really the glue that holds it all together, and then he gives the interpretation of the parable, and I got into this, and I said, do you think they'll notice if I just skip over this part, we'll just get into the interpretation? But I I don't think that would be um, an honest way to approach the text. This is a difficult passage. The the, the main thing I found difficult was this really cryptic saying by Jesus, a difficult saying, the secret, that is in Greek, the mysterion of the kingdom of God. I find that a very difficult statement to, to pray through. And then there's, there's this quotation from Isaiah, this, this judgment quotation that uh, Mark or Jesus pulls from the prophet Isaiah. And then there's this very difficult fact that Jesus seems to be, he seems to be, and I think he is, at one point praising the disciples because they get it, And then in the next moment, he seems to be chiding them because they don't get it. Good, you've got the secret of the kingdom of heaven. Bad, you don't understand this parable. And and I'm trying to think, well, which way is it? So what I want to do is instead of laboring over this, I want to give you, I think, a a paraphrase of what I believe the Lord is saying in this. Um, And I think this will be the easiest way to handle it. This is not an authorized translation of the Bible. This is just my paraphrase. So right over there, Acts 17, 11. <laughs> Make sure you're searching the scripture because this is my version. But let me just give you this. This is what I think Jesus is saying. When the crowds left, the 12 apostles and some other disciples gathered around Jesus and said, Lord, we are really confused over that parable about the farmer in the soil. Jesus said in response, well, The good news is that to you has been given the absolutely critical thing. That is, the secret that unlocks the door to heaven itself. Sadly, this is not the case with the crowd that leaves once the show is over. To them, everything is a riddle. They refuse to see what I'm doing. And they refuse to hear what I'm really saying. And as long as this is so, they will never experience the forgiveness of sins as you have. However, I have some bad news for you as well. The fact that you do not understand the parable of the farmer in the soil is a very serious matter indeed. For in this parable, I explain the key to truly understanding all of the word of God. So there it is. If that is a fair paraphrase, I submit it to you, then two questions will naturally flow from it. One, what is the secret of the kingdom of God? And two, Why is this parable so utterly important? Why is it so foundational? Okay, let's look at this first question. We'll just just work our way through this briefly. What is the secret of the kingdom of God? Now, if you look at Matthew's and Luke's rendition of this parable, to me, that's easy to interpret because Jesus doesn't say, Mysterion. He says mysterions. It's the secrets of the kingdom of God. That I get. Well, in Luke it says this. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Listen to how easy this sounds. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. 
But for others, they are in parables. That I get. No problem at all. Jesus is saying the secrets of the God are, are revealed to you because I'm, I'm going to, you understand these parables, but to the others, it, it's, it's, it's a judgment. They, they're not, they, they've made judgment on me, so I'm judging them. And if I give them more light, it's going to result in more judgment. I get that. Um, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, and if we believe every word of God is inspired, every letter makes a difference. There's a reason here why Jesus is not using the plural secrets. He's using the word secret. I believe what Mark is telling us, or what Jesus is telling us in this passage is that, yeah, the secrets of the kingdom of God, that's revealed in parables, and that's given to the disciples. But there is a secret behind the secret. There is this, there is this precondition that one has to meet in order to understand anything else that God is saying. There's a really, really, really big secret. It's an open secret. You should see it, but it is a secret. And I believe it's this, and I submit it to you. Jesus Christ himself is the secret of the kingdom of God. He is the secret that unlocks all other secrets. Scripture tells us that there are many secrets in the kingdom of God. What is a secret? I, I know we, we know in some ways. What is a mysterion in the way that Scripture uses it? It's, it's really just this. It's something that has to be supernaturally revealed by God. You can't get to it by human reasoning. You can't make your deductions, construct your syllogisms. You can't put it to the scientific method. It has to be revealed by God Almighty. Jonathan Edwards has a wonderful sermon. He says that Scripture is a revelation or understanding the things of God is a divine and supernatural light immediately imparted into the soul. And that's really what a secret is, and there's many in Scripture. Paul says that um, the changing of our bodies to our new glorious resurrection bodies is a mystery. We never would have guessed it. We never could have figured it out. The union of the Jews and Gentiles into one body, these two groups that hate each other, that's a mystery. It never could have come about unless God revealed it. Really, the chief doctrine of the New Testament, the believer's union with Christ, excuse me, it's a mystery. No other religion would ever posit that we are in the founder of the religion. We're in Christ. What does that mean? It's so, it just so transcends our understanding of everything. That was a mystery that had to be revealed, in this case, through the apostle Paul. And the hardening of Israel's heart is also a mystery. We would never understand why that happened unless God revealed it to us. But the real mystery, the mystery of all mysteries, in fact, the word mysterion, when it's mostly used in scripture, is talking about Jesus himself. Uh, let me show you my favorite verse, and I, hopefully this really fits like a glove into this passage. Colossians 2, 2, 3, uh, Colossians 2, 2, and 3. Paul writes to the church at Colossae, my goal is that you may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that you may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that you may know the mystery of God, who is Christ, and in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. you got to get that big mystery first before all those other treasures of wisdom and knowledge follow. It's all about Jesus. He's the secret. He is the key that unlocks the door to heaven. And there's an interesting thing. It, Jesus says to those on the outside, it's really only those that are sitting at Jesus' feet because he's been revealed to them for who he is that really get any of these spiritual truths. You know, Wikipedia says there's 2.2 billion Christians in the world I wonder how many of those individuals know the secret. Doesn't that sound so utterly contradictory? Well, it says they're Christians, but I wonder. I wonder how many of those 2.2 billion people really know that it is all about Jesus. It's not about church. It's not about sacraments. It's not about duties. 
It's not about what we do for God. It is all about Jesus. That's the open secret that I would say most of those 2.2 billion people are really blinded to. I would have to say that. Let's move on to the second question. Why is this parable so important? And we're going to find out now. In Roman numeral 4, the interpretation is given. Mark 4, 14 through 20. The farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seeds sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. Um, the reason why this parable is so utterly important, I'll, I'll just say it like this, it teaches us the mechanics of how Christians bear fruit. We can't go into the importance the Bible places on bearing fruit. It is the first command in the Bible. It's really the first thing that comes out of God's mouth. Be fruitful. God wants one thing. We we can just settle this right now. He just wants fruit. Fruit basically means we begin to look more and more like Jesus. We live a life that is pleasing to him. That's all God wants. He just wants some kind of conformity to his son. That's, That's the goal. God was so angry at Israel because I never got any fruit. I never got any fruit. And when John the Baptist comes on the scene after 400 years of silence, what's the first thing out of his mouth? Guys, we need to see some fruit here. God's got in nothing and he's losing patience. The axe is at the root of the tree. Any tree that does not bear fruit in keeping with repentance will be cut down. The basic parable of Jesus, that just um, the, the vine and the branches right before he died, it's all about fruit. So some of his last words that he said to his disciples, God wants fruit. Now that's why this parable I think is so utterly important. It teaches us the mechanics of how that works itself out. And it does it in several ways. It tells us the first thing that has to happen in order for any Christian to bear fruit. First, we must hear the word of God. There has to be a seed. I mean, the seed's not the star, but the seed's pretty important. I mean, no seed, no fruit. Let's face it. There has to be a seed. We, we have to hear the word of God. I, I find it very interesting that God has given us five senses, given us the sense of smell, praise his holy name, bacon and eggs and all those wonderful things. The, the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup, and, and, I, and that's just true. And related to that is taste. And praise God, he could have given us manna. He's given us, all, he's given us food network. <laughs> and chopped, and iron chef. I could just watch it all day. Just the creative, the creative genius of God Almighty. He's given us the touch, sight. I mean, we're not going many places in this world without sight. I had to walk a brother in my church last week. Just to, He could not even get to the bathroom. And I walked him to the stall, and I said, are you okay? No, you need to walk me into the... He couldn't even get... Totally blind. But it's interesting, none of these other senses that God gives us profits us anything in the kingdom of God but hearing. Faith comes by hearing. I can't get you to smell the gospel. You're not going to taste it. You can't feel it. 
It is an announcement. It is a proclamation. It has to contain words. Why is that? And it's for this reason, because the word of God is the basic reality of this universe. The universe was created, it is sustained, upheld, and providentially directed by God's word. Not by his sight, not by his smell, not by his touch, by his word. Jesus said it the best, heaven and earth will pass away. This... Everything that seems so real, it's all going to pass away. But my word will never pass away. Physicists tell us that there are, the, the entire universe is held together by four fundamental forces. And if any of you guys are physicists in here, I'm not, so correct me afterwards if I'm saying this wrong. But the force of gravity, electromagnetism, strong nuclear, and weak nuclear force. Um, one physicist said that without these four forces, all matter in the universe would fall apart and float away. However, most physicists, I believe it since Einstein, believe that there is a force behind these forces, undiscovered. Isn't that fascinating? (laughs) And this is their theory. It's the grand unified theory, the theory of everything, the unified field theory, that there is a field, there is a force behind all these fundamental forces. Amen. It's the word of God. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power, even when he was an embryo in Mary's womb. He was upholding the universe by the word of his power. I find it very interesting that when St. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 was raptured up, maybe 2 Corinthians chapter 12, was raptured up to the third heaven, he wasn't like all these wacky books you see in the Christian bookstores. Oh, I saw all these wonderful things, and um, I heard one preacher say, I had a water fight in the river of life with Jesus. You know what Paul said? He said, I heard inexpressible things that man is not even permitted to speak. Even in heaven, the big thing is the word of God. He's going to sing over you. Christianity is a speaking religion. It's because the God of Christianity is a speaking God. I love what Jeremiah says, and this is the one function of the church on earth. Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. Not smell it, not feel it, not touch it. Hear it. And how will they hear without preachers? why Paul can say this unbelievably dramatic thing to his disciple Timothy in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ who will judge the living and dead and in the view of his appearing I give you this charge preach the word it's all about preaching proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ this is the second thing that the parable teaches us the seed must find the right kind of soil or the seed must find the right kind of heart. And this is what um, we learn here from Jesus with the mechanics of what happened. The word goes into the ear, but then it drops into the heart, the soil. So again, it's all about the soil. It's either going to go into the ear and drop into the heart, not the blood pump, the center of our being, where we can commune or not commune with God. And it's either going to die on the spot or it's going to explode with life. One or the two. It's all about the soil. It's all about the heart. Let me speak to um, people that, and and I say this out of my own experience. I'm in a season of just terrible, well, let let me not be overdramatic. I'm just in a season of discouragement because um, I'm so... uh, tired of seemingly to preach the word of God and it just seems to die right there. Um, I work with a lot of young kids and you know how hard that can be, bless you youth workers, 
Do you guys hear what I'm saying to you? This is really important. I'm not saying you, I'm saying the kids. And it just seems like the word is going into the ear and the heart and it's just dying there. And then and they, what they really want to do is just get back on Facebook and Instagram. It's like, come on, guys. This is really important stuff. But here's the thing. If, if spiritual truth was just a matter of hearing, the whole world would be Christians. A Christianity is rational. And one of the things that kind of took me out of my depression a little bit was I'm teaching church history right now. And one of the, thing, one of the places we stopped was in um, the conversion of Paul and the stoning of St. Stephen. You see, I've often made this, this parable about the farmer. It's all about the preacher. Is the preacher anointed? Does he have the gifts and, and all that? But this is, it's not about the preacher. And it's really not even about the seed. It is a little bit. It's going to be pure, but it's really about the soil. Look at St. Stephen. He preached the most marvelous sermon in Acts chapter 7. The Bible says he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. His face was like an angel. There, there's, you've, you've never, I've never heard a preacher that, that is even worthy to unla- unlatch it, the, 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 the sandals of St. Stephen. And what does it say? They heard his word and they stoned him to death. So clearly, it's not an issue of the anointing of the preacher, and it's not an issue of the seed. Stephen was given them the pure word of God. The issue was the soil. They gnashed his teeth, they dragged him out of the city, and they stoned him. And you go on and ask Paul, for two years, he's preaching the gospel to King Agrippa. Would you say Paul's anointed? Would you say Paul's preaching the unadulterated word of God? And what is King Agrippa doing? He's, he's doing nothing for two years. He keeps calling Paul in, not because he wants to hear the word. He wants a bribe. He wants money. So it's not the, it's not the, it's, it's not the seed, uh, beloved. It's, it's not the, um, the preacher, the farmer. It's really the soil. And the next thing that this parable does, it explains to us the hearts that can't receive the word of God. And I'm really not going to expound these much. I'm just going to trust the Holy Spirit to do that. There's three hearts that um, Jesus talks about. The hard heart, obviously. It says, some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. And as soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Um, you know, the path, it's, it's the well-trodden ground. It's just, you're just not going to get any seed into that path. Um, that's the hard heart. You guys all know hard-hearted people. You, t- you try to tell them a spiritual truth, and right out of their lip comes the lie of Satan. Um, it's just, it's so easy for Satan. The seed's just right there. The, the bird is the Satan. He comes and he swallows it up with the lie. You are made in the image of God. No, that's not true. I'm descended from a monkey. You know, there it is. He's just right there, waiting ready for it. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins. Oh, no, God could never forgive you of that sin. So that's just, that's just what it is. The, the, the heart becomes hard. And brothers and sisters, if, if you're not a Christian, that's the chief problem. It's not that Christianity intellectually doesn't make sense. It does. It's historical. It's verifiable. The tomb is empty. He's risen. It's not that you need more evidence, is that this, 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 this organ with which you view the world is hard, and it needs to be softened. And if you're a Christian and you're not experiencing the presence of God, and I speak in all humility, I've been there many times, it's because something is hard, and so when you hear the word, it's just Satan is scooping it right up. Number two, uh, the half-hearted heart. Others seed like uh, uh, sorry others like seeds sown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy but since they have no root they last only a short time when trouble or pers- persecution comes because of the word they quickly fall away and we all know people like this it really appeared like they were good soil just just in your mind right now, run through all the people. They were going to church. They were attending Bible studies. They were preaching the word. One, one, uh, one man that used to preach with Jim and I. Now he's, just, he, he's, he, he's on the streets, completely lost his, monk, his mind because of crystal meth. Uh, what, what happened? They, they seemed like they were doing so good. Well, once trouble comes... Once anything else comes, they're out of here. They are simply not going to be inconvenienced for the gospel. And that's just a very uh, difficult, very difficult word. And then finally, three, there's the distracted heart. Still others, like seeds, seeds sown among thorns, 
hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things, that can be interpreted the distractions of this age, come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. How many of you guys have ever had the word choked because you've just been distracted by the things of this world? It's happened to all of us. Amen. How many of you have been at one point, the word of God has ceased to bear fruit in your life because you said, you know what? I got to make more money. I got to work more hours. I know the Bible says that God's going to provide, but I got to put it into it. And I know a lot of people that have shipwrecked their faith because of that. How many of us uh, have had the word of God completely choked because of anxiety? Well, Judas comes to mind as well. He, he, the word was choked in him. The Bible says, it's just, it's, we don't have to really get all psychological on it. It just says Judas loved money. He wanted money and therefore the word of God never sprouted in his heart. Finally, number four, it shows us the one heart that will bear fruit for God. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. So this is the one good soil. And I really struggled with this, just interpreting this. Okay, what makes this one soil good? Um, There's really no place in the world where you can go and drop a tomato seed in and the soil, will, it'll just sprout up. It just, it just really doesn't work like that. It, it, there is no soil in this natural world that, that is good by nature. It's hard by nature. It has rocks by nature. By nature, it has thorns. I mean, that's part of the curse. So if you think that we're just going to go and drop tomato seeds anywhere, I, I would never think that. I would never think that. So something has to happen outside of nature. There's something has to come in from the outside supernaturally to make these hearts good. And it's just simply the grace of God. It is only the grace of God that can make this heart good. I know what the Bible says about our hearts by nature. They're filthy. They're wretched. They're hard. They love money. They're distracted by everything else. They're bored with the things of God. Talk to me about football. Talk to me about horses. But then the grace of God comes in. And all of a sudden the man has spiritual desires. All of a sudden now spiritual things come to life for them. And our entire position is changed. How, what does this look like? I want to leave you with a picture. It's, 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 it's going to sound kind of mystical and that's okay. This is the heart of God that, what is it, let me ask you this. What does it take for a seed to germinate? To germinate, is that the right word? Germinate, germinate. What does it take for a seed to germinate? And you know, the essential thing is warmth. That seed needs warmth to germinate. You can put every seed in the world, if that soil is cold, it is never going to break through that seed and germinate. And that obviously is what gets this whole thing started. Brothers and sisters, our hearts need to be warmed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The things of God have to appear excellent to us. And that is a work of the Spirit. That is nothing we can do. I think of the most, probably one of the most fruitful men that have ever lived, John Wesley, um, really didn't bear any fruit. Not any fruit at all till he was 35 years old. He wasn't, I don't think he was a Christian. Even though he was active in Christian service, he worked with orphans, he took harrowing trips from uh, from England over to um, Georgia and started orphanages. It just doesn't seem like, like he was a Christian and he came back to England completely defeated. And then one night, everything changed, and many of you know this story. Let me read you his exact words. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a Christian meeting on Aldersgate Street. And by the way, with this, I basically close. And in that room, someone was reading Martin Luther's preface to the epistle, to the epistle of Romans. About a quarter before nine, 
He knows the exact moment this happened. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt now that I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away all my sins, even mine. Oh, do you hear Wesley's hymn right now? And can it be that I should gain? I remember when I was at seminary, there was a shelf of books from here to here. The poetical works of John and Charles Wesley. These guys wrote like 50 books of songs. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. Who is the good soil? It's the heart that trusts in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his ministry among us. We thank you that, Lord, we find no fault in him. Lord, we don't put him in the dock. We don't sit in judgment on him. We say even what Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him three times. Lord, we thank you that he was the substitute for our sins, that he was placed on a cross, Lord, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And yet the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. Behold the Lamb of God who does take away the sins of the world. Thank you for our Savior's desire. He truly wants people to be saved. The thief on the cross came to him and went with him to paradise that very day. Lord, thank you that he was buried and in that grave he took away our sins. Thank you that the grave couldn't hold him. He was never to see corruption. And he burst forth in victory on that third day. And for 40 days, he taught his disciples of the kingdom of God. And then he ascended into heaven in the clouds. And he said, one day I will return. But in the meantime, preach the word. Sow the seed. Some of it will fall on good hearts. Others not so good. You leave the results to me. That's my job. I, I watered, Apollos, I sowed, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Thank you, Lord, for all these very clear teachings in Scripture. Please add them uh, to our understanding. I thank you so much for this church, Lord. I pray that just, uh, oh God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these blessed brothers and sisters before me. I pray that they would have a glorious Lord's Day. Lord, just let them have a foretaste of glory divine. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.